And now for a change of pace. Thich Nhat Hanh warns us not to be too attached to our views, not to cling to our views, because the knowledge we presently possess is not changeless, absolute truth. If we take our own ideas too seriously, we won't be open to others' insights and experiences. In this spirit of not clinging too tightly to my beliefs, I share these thoughts about admirable friendship. But first, thank you, Rod, for trusting me this morning to talk to the subject of cultivating relationships. And thank you, congregation, for trusting that this morning you might hear something meaningful or even something you disagree with and want to talk about. And thank you, Susan, for being part of this morning's service. My talk today is about admirable friends, a translation of the Pali word Kalyanamita. The talk came together when I witnessed a friend's response to someone's distress. In that moment, I recognized that I was not as she was, receptive, I wasn't vulnerable, and I was definitely not non-judgmental. I watched her respond with kindness and compassion. At that moment, my friend became more than a friend, but a teacher, a role model, an admirable friend, if you will. And I felt gratitude toward her, though I doubt she thought she deserved it. Being an admirable friend means more than making someone else feel good or appreciated although that is not a bad thing to do. In fact, it is highly desirable under many circumstances like this one. My hope is to explore facets of being an admirable friend that allow you to question some of your own behavior with others, as I have been awakened to do. And there is no better place to practice than here. Look around. We can be an admirable friend and find one in this gathering of people, our congregation, and our friends. This is possible because each of us has made a commitment to put up with, maybe even love, people we might not have chosen to be a bestie or a BFF. I have been interested in the idea of admirable friends from the time during my studies of the Buddha that I came across a conversation between the Buddha and his beloved attendant and cousin Ananda. A conversation about the importance of having, and I would add, being such a friend. I love Ananda, probably because he's a little slower. And he doesn't always get things right. And this conversation with the Buddha is called the whole of the holy life. And it is central in all Buddhist traditions. As he was sitting there, Venerable Ananda said to the Blessed One, This is half of the holy life, Lord. Admirable friendship, admirable companionship 
admirable camaraderie. I really identify with Ananda because when I was in San Francisco with my Zen teacher, I used to drop driblets of wisdom, I thought, to her feet, and she would respond to me kind of the way the Buddha responded to Ananda. Don't say that, Ananda. Don't say that. Admirable friendship, admirable companionship, admirable camaraderie is actually the whole of the holy life. This conversation between the Buddha and Ananda held more than 2,600 years ago in India sent me Googling for how that concept of admirable friends got into Western Buddhism. And I found that it traveled through New York and Sri Lanka. Through Bhikkhu Bodhi, Bhikkhu means monk, born Jeffrey Block in 1944 in New York, who was ordained in Sri Lanka as a Theravada Buddhist monk. Good friendship in Buddhism, Bhikkhu Bodhi writes, means considerably more than associating with people that one finds amenable and who shares one's interests. It means, in effect, seeking out wise companions to whom one can look for guidance and instruction. The task of the admirable friend is not only to provide companionship in the treading of the way. The truly wise and compassionate friend is one who, with understanding and sympathy of heart, is ready to criticize and admonish, to point out one's faults, to exhort and encourage, perceiving that the purpose of such friendship is growth in the Dharma. And here, Dharma is to be translated as the way things really are. I have to admit that when I originally imagined talking about Admiral Friends, I was very excited about giving everyone permission to point out each other's faults. In a kind and honest way, of course, and excluding me. But as time went on, I had a change of heart. Pointing out faults sort of fits my sense of being useful. I have asked myself if I would want a friend to tell me that something I was doing, a habit of mine, perhaps interrupting, something I had been told was an unbecoming habit, wasn't working. In fact, such an event really did occur. You see, my excuse back in the day was that it was important for me to interrupt because men were interrupting me all the time and actually turnabout was fair play. My admirable friend, who was a UU compatriot in San Francisco, told me one day that he would not collaborate with me any longer if I continued to interrupt him. We were working on a project assigned by the minister. Now, I don't remember if my feelings were hurt. And I don't remember if I stopped interrupting. But I think I probably did, because we did complete the project. But so far, or as much as I am aware, I have not had the courage to be this kind of friend, to tell someone he or she or they are being annoying, and it would be in their best interest if they could change their behavior. 
How do you tell someone this and not have them hear you say that they should become a different person? And there is a reason for my hesitancy in calling out anyone for a habit or trait that may in fact be getting in the way of their effectiveness. Part of it, I know, is not wanting to hurt their feelings. And you know, this is weird in a way because if they had spinach stuck between their teeth, they would certainly want me to say, hey, you have spinach between your teeth. Clearly such a remark would be seen as helpful and kind as being in their best interest. But being admirable in the style of Bhikkhu Bodhi had me turn inward, had me asking myself if my wish for another person to change might not be more about my discomfort than it is about a kind and selfless desire to see the life of that other person improve. Something to consider. The Buddha taught that it is essential for us to choose as our guides and companions those who represent, at least in part, the noble qualities we seek to internalize. As a member of this congregation, I have found admirable friends, those who trust me enough to point out that my impatience, when it interferes with what we're trying to accomplish, when they see the good and beauty in others, just as I am about to be dismissive or impatient. This has been the case for me in working with UUs who care deeply about adopting the Eighth Principle. And right now it isn't the rightness or wrongness of the Eighth Principle that I want to talk about. Rather, I have been impressed with the inclusivity and the kindness expressed by many of the committee as they are being receptive to everyone. You know, receptivity, I hate to say this, has not been my go-to response. In fact, I have long been aware that I often react more than I respond to other people. For example, and I want to say, hopefully, in the past, hopefully, if someone didn't understand what I was saying to them, or said they were feeling left out by my behavior, my reaction might be less sympathetic than impatient. Impatience, to put it mildly, has certainly been my reaction to people who continue to refuse vaccinations or masks where they are mandated. And my inner voice moans, what's wrong with you? The way I say it to myself lacks all compassion and means clearly there is something about you I am finding unacceptable. You know, I could ask the question using the same words, what's wrong with you? And there could be an entirely open, kind, concerned feeling in my heart rather than a dismissive, intolerant feeling that has been my go-to feeling. But back to working with the Eighth Principle Committee. There I observed kindness and acceptance being expressed. 
aware of the difference between my reaction and their response, I have felt moved and opened, possibly changed. Admirable friends, indeed. There is a bottom line here, and I have almost reached it. Admirable eyes see admirable friends. In valuing other people as admirable friends, I must also value and nurture myself with compassion and kindness. And it may go with saying, but I am going to say it anyway, nothing anybody else does can have any meaning for me if I can't recognize the rightness or wrongness of the behavior I am observing. I once heard an expression that made a big difference to me. You may be familiar with it, too. If you spot it, you've got it. When others behave admirably, and I recognize the rightness of their actions, I am reassured that it is also a part of me because I see its value. And if I don't see it, it's because it isn't already a part of me, which doesn't mean it can't be added to my to-do or to-be list. And it also goes without saying, but I'm saying it. Recognizing unkindness means I know what that is because it is in me. Which brings me to a second bottom line. In no way can we human beings afford unkindness because, and here I'm going to quote from the book on kindness, quote, unkindness involves a failure of the imagination so acute that it threatens not just our happiness, but our sanity. We depend on each other, not just for our survival, but for our very being. The self without sympathetic attachments is either a fiction or a lunatic. So there really isn't a choice, is there? We have all opted for connecting. And because we value these connections, these friendships, may all or many of them be admirable. May it be so.